Welcome to the Dayspring Community Church Podcast. Check out our website at dayspringonline.org. And now, Dr. Matt Friedemann. If you've got those Bibles, turn to Matthew 18. Come on up, dear. We're ready to go. Uh, as our reader's coming, I, I want to go ahead and share with you just a quick story. Um, it's a, I don't know, this is just almost overcomes me. There's a Jew by the name of Wiesenthal, Simon Wiesenthal, who wrote a very famous book called The Sunflower. And he was experiencing the horrors of a Nazi prison camp. And as he was experiencing these horrific dynamics, I mean, his people are dying. They're taking their lives. They're murdering Jews all around him. And in the midst of this, he was called away from his details of work and asked to go upstairs to a room, which was actually just above a torture chamber. It was a dark room. There was no light. And he hears the rustling of somebody in the corner and a very weak voice. So he goes over to see that it's one of the most notorious men in that prison camp, the most heinous guard in the whole camp, someone who not just killed Wiesenthal's people, but hated them and loved to go ahead and see them suffer. He had stepped on a landmine, and his whole body was burned. He was dying. And so when Wiesenthal got closer to him, he heard why he was there. And what he heard the man ask for was, will you please forgive me? And Wiesenthal said, what? He said, will you please forgive me? He says, I had been given the duty of going into a particular village and burning the whole thing down. And we finally came to the barn where many of the people had been hiding out. And so we began burning the barn, knowing full well that if we start at the bottom, everybody'd go up to the top. And as it started to burn up the whole building, they'd start jumping out. And I ordered them, as the guard, to pick them off. Just let's do a little target practice right now. Let's just pick off the people that are diving from this building. And uh, we were enjoying ourselves. It was quite fun. He says, and then there was one last little boy. And uh, Ebe looked at me and says, Sergeant, you get the last one. And I could not do it. So I aimed and waited for this little boy to jump. And the minute he started jumping, I shot him right through the heart. Mm. And this man now, dying in the corner of this room above the torture chamber, said this. I can't laugh anymore. I think about this little boy every night. I I don't even sleep. Could you please give me forgiveness? On behalf of that village, on behalf of that little boy, could you please, as a Jew, forgive me? Wiesenthal thought, you know, almost did it. I mean, just to give a dying man who was suffering just a little bit of comfort before he went off. But Wiesenthal said, then I decided I won't turned on my heel, and walked out. Later, when he got out of this concentration camp, he wrote a book called The Sunflower. He told about that instance. But the book really was about 50 people who were scholars, that were philosophers and theologians, that discussed, did Wiesenthal do the right thing or the wrong thing? And almost everybody in the book said, right thing. To which brings us to the passage for the morning. And that is Matthew 18, verses 21 to 35. Will you please stand in reverence 
to the Word of God. Good morning, Day Springs. I'm going to be coming from Matthew 18, verse 21 to 35. The um, unforgiven servant. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me? And I forgive him up to seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servant. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 tillets. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children. And all that he had and that payment be made, that servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him and the debt. But the servant went out and found him, found one of his fellow servants who owed him a, a hundred denaro, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me, pay me what you owe me. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, all have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not but but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt the debt. So when his fellow servant saw that he when the fellow servant saw what he had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that he had been done. Then the master, after he had called him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him into the tor tortures until he showed pay and sh until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his transpass. I just read you um, chapter 18, verses 21 through the 35. May the Lord have a blessing to the reading of the word. Heavenly Father, I want to say thank you so much. Thank us all for, thank you for Pastor Matt. Thank you for Day Spring. Thank you for waking us up this morning, closing our right, man, able to see another day, Lord, that you didn't have to let us see. Thank you, Father God, for being so merciful and kind to us. I just want to say thank you, Father God, for continue to bless us and keep your, uh, keep your arms around us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for that great reading of the word. You may be seated. So a couple points, just a couple I want to hit with you this morning. Then we're going to have an opportunity to take communion. And this ought to be an exceedingly meaningful communion for us as we talk about forgiveness today. Challenges to abundant living. Last week we talked about worry. And worry, uh, in the Latin, all the way back, uh, comes from a word that means strangle or choke. And I think worry does that to a lot of people. It strangles our abundant life. It chokes us. And uh, had some interesting prayer with some people this week. And last Sunday, people came up to me afterwards and said, man, pray for me. This worry thing's got me. So I know it, it. It's a thing amongst us, amongst a lot of evangelical Christians. The one today, however, is interesting because it talks about unforgiveness. And when we talk about forgiveness, we've got to understand the radical nature of this forgiveness. 
First off, God has forgiven us. And that's radical. And I know you know this because some of you know about your sin. (laughs) Some of you have yet to really think seriously about it. But we know about the sin. And if God has forgiven us for some of the wicked and horrific things we've done, well, if He can do it with us, He can do it with anybody. Furthermore, God turns around and says, and now I want you to take the Lord's Prayer seriously. Forgive us our trespasses just like we've forgiven those who have trespassed against us, who have sinned against us. So inasmuch as we're bad forgivers, I want you to badly forgive me. That's what that prayer means. But inasmuch as you give me the grace to forgive well, then I want to be forgiven well and abundantly and radically. I mean, that's a, that's a radical prayer. I don't know if you've ever thought about it as you've prayed the Lord's Prayer. But it's a radical prayer in so much as you're saying, the way I forgive, that's how I want to be forgiven. So let's talk about this this morning. The first thing is, and by the way, made an outstanding, an award-winning overhead and sent the wrong file to, the, to, uh, to my people. So forgive me for the lack of overhead today. But the first point is this. Salvation is substantially a matter of the forgiveness of our sins. Amen? And no matter what you've done today, Jesus Christ can forgive you of your wickedness, of your sins, of your shortcomings, of your transgressions against Him. And so we say, well, talk to me about that just a little bit. And I, uh, I have long, and, and many people have long appreciated Campus Crusade for Christ. They're now called Crew. Crusade's a little bit hard for apparently the political correct uh, set to get over, and so now we go to crew. Now they're crew, not crusade. So a crew today uh, uses the same little track that they used 50 years ago, and it's called the four spiritual laws. And I'm just going to tell them to you real quick. The first spiritual law is God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. If you agree with that, say amen. The second thing, however, is Your life is tainted by sin, and therefore you are separated from God. Your sin separates you from God, so you cannot know God's wonderful plan for your life. So he's got a wonderful plan, but you can't know about it until you deal with the sin. Third spiritual law is this. Jesus Christ is the only provision for our sin. He came, he died for you, and his blood can wash your sins away. Blot out your transgressions. Get rid of them. And praise be to God for that. What Campus Crusade does is use this verse for that. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And the fourth spiritual law is this. Therefore, we must place our faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior in order to receive the gifts of salvation. And therefore, know God's wonderful plan for our lives. He has a wonderful plan. We're not going to know it because of sin. Jesus Christ came and was a provision of the forgiveness of those sins in your life. The blotting them out. They're making them as far as the east is from the west. At the bottom of the deepest and darkest. I mean, whatever you phraseology you want to use, it's gone. I mean, my favorite one is this. You all know about it. We say it at least once a month. But uh, we, always, we say in our kids' catechism, what does God know? And everybody says, well, God knows everything. And what we say is, no, God does not know everything. God knows what he wants to know. 
And so he says, hey, lo, I will remember your sins no more. <laughs> now, I don't know. We probably got some holy people here from birth. No, we don't. But we, you might think you've been holy from birth, and so you haven't had any sins to be forgiven, so you might not know about this. And I say this with a big tongue in my cheek, okay? Y'all see the tongue in my cheek? All right. Most of us know that we are wild sinners, wicked sinners. We are transgressors on the top shelf. We are blue ribbon messer-uppers. Knowing that, there's got to be some kind of deal made. So what does God say to us? Hey, if you'll come to me and let me forgive you of your sins, accept this great provision. And we're going to celebrate that provision today. I didn't even know. I forgot. I said yesterday, Mary said something about, oh, we need to make some communion bread. I said, oh, my goodness, tomorrow's, this is perfect. We're talking about the forgiveness of sins on the day of communion. Wow. Now, God set that up. I couldn't have. I, I'm not that smart. So praise God, we get to celebrate this. But y'all, listen. Jesus Christ came, died for your sins, so that your sins will be remembered no more. And so I always figure, you know, we're going to get the judgment day, and they're going to have the book of life. They've upped the technology in heaven. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, they got now an HDTV up there. All right? And it covers the whole wall of this side of heaven. And there's going to be uh, the life of Matt Friedman. Now, it's going to be your life, but let's just say, since I'm up here right now, it's the life of Matt Friedman. And we're getting ready to watch this incredible film of Matt Friedman, except I know it's not so incredible because I know what I've done. <laughs> Can you think about what you've done here? And they're about ready to flash that on the screen. And you're thinking, oh, no, 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 Jesus. I remember my first monumental, horrific, boy, I blew it, and I meant to blow it, sin, at age six. Here it comes. Here it comes. Please, everyone, close your eyes. Shut your ears. We're all looking at it, and what happened? I'm looking over at Peter. Peter's standing next to me. Peter says, pretty cool, huh? I said, I don't get it. What happened? He says, lo, he remembers your sins no more. And pretty soon what I find out is that movie of Matt Friedman is a highlight reel. It's hilarious. I'm thinking, man. He says, don't think too much of yourself, Matt. <laughs> You're not much of a highlighter, okay? Only by God's grace did any of that stuff happen, and all the horrific stuff is wiped out. Praise be to God. Now, I, I'd love to take that out to the prison every week. We go out there, and about once a month, once every couple months, I remember, okay, what does God know? And man, that's such good news to everybody out there. All the prisoners look up and say, you mean he won't remember that horrible thing I did? That's not a thing, by the way. It's usually, like most of us, that horrible thousand things I did. No, he won't. Not if you genuinely come to him and say, forgive me, Lord, I repent of my many sins, and now I run into the arms of Jesus. Acts, excuse me, Psalm 86 says this, You are forgiving and good, Lord. You abound in love to all those who call to you. You, O Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. Mm. But you must be willing, y'all. He doesn't throw that gift at you. He's kind of like a, you know, a, a steak. He's not going to set it in front of you. Now I'm going to force feed you whether you like steak or not. It's coming down. You've got to pick up your fork and knife and eat it. That's the way it is with his provision for you. You've got to receive it. And that 
reception is an active reception. Now, if it's true, if it's true that sin keeps me from a wonderful life, it's not just, it's not just that, oh, good, I'm greatly relieved, God forgives me of my sin. What I want to know is, where is sin in my life, and how can I root it out? How can I allow God to root it out? I want to know about it. I don't want anything hidden. And that's why I turn now, and I wish I had these, I got a great PowerPoint, but it's not there. But Alcoholics Anonymous have the famous 12 steps. You ever heard of them? The 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And the guys that put this together were substantially Christian. And I, this morning, just want to review steps four through nine. Step four. In order to, for me to get to sobriety, and it's not just sobriety, y'all, in order for you to get to the abundant life, you've got to go through steps four through nine. Now, by the way, every single one of those steps are pretty good. But you, today, whether you're drunk or not, whether you're on pills today or not, whether you're on crack or heroin or not, you need these steps. Step four goes like this. I made a searching and fearless moral inventory of myself. In other words, I don't want to just kind of scooch by this sin thing and think, thank God he forgave me for all that stuff. No, no, no. I want to know every bit of it because I want to get rid of every bit of it. I want to do a moral... And by the way... uh, Somebody said yesterday, you need to go take that test. It's right there on the thing. Take that test for yourself and see how you do it. I said, dude, I don't think taking that test and doing a self-evaluation is good enough. I think you need to have five people who will read you the riot act when it's necessary to take that test for you. So Matt's a good guy. Oh, yeah, that's me. I, I give me a 10 on that. I'd prefer my wife. If I want an honest evaluation... And then, of course, I'd, I'd go to some other people in here that are kind of cantankerous and hard on me sometimes. And I'd like to come to you. Well, yeah, he's a good guy. Most of the time, I think I'll give him a seven. I'm thinking, whoa, 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 where'd the seven come from? Miss Patricia, you gave me a six? How is that? Well, then she could have a little discussion about how that is. Boom, 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 boom. Y'all, listen, that's the beautiful thing is don't just take the moral inventory yourself. Invite some other people in. You say, ah, I don't know about that. Hey, how much do you hate sin? Would you like to see some sin in your life that you can't see, but that others can see? That's what that moral inventory is all about. Let me invite some people in. Let me do a searching moral inventory. So that's step four. Step five is this. I admit to God, I admit to myself, and I admit to another, at least one more human being, the exact nature of my wrongs, of my mess-ups, of my sin. And this is beautiful. Now, I'm not Catholic. You're not Catholic. I don't want you to be Catholic. But I think they got something we don't have. Oh, we used to have it. When we started this Wesleyan thing, when we started this whole thing back in England... What we did every week was we got together in groups and we looked at each other and said, hey, would you like me to tell you a thing or two about your life? And it's kind of hard to say no. So you say, okay. And they'd tell you a thing or two about your life. If you wanted to root out sin, the Wesleyan band and class meetings would do it for you. You would show up morally naked in front of them and let them tear you apart. Why? Because you hated sin. 
and you wanted to get right down to the nub. You wanted to wipe it out by the power of the Holy Spirit. You wanted to deal with it. Well, the Catholic Church, one of the things they did was they went to another human being called the priest. And some kind of covering would be there, but you could sort of see in and the priest could sort of see you. He knew who he was doing with. You knew who you were talking to, the priest. And all of a sudden, it's a, my child, have you blown it this week, you idiot? Now, he doesn't quite say that, but... And you say, well, this and that and this and that. And they'd say, well, then, you know, do, do, do four Hail Marys and 20 push-ups and you're good to go. You say, well, we don't, I can go straight to God with my sin. Yeah, you can. You better. But you better go to someone else. Because in the book of James, there's this little line. Confess your sins one to another that you might be healed. It didn't say just go to God. You better go to God, but you need to go to some people with some skin on around you to say, let me find a holy woman of God, a holy man of God that I can say, hey, this is my sin. I remember Richard Foster talking about this in Celebration of Discipline. Richard Foster saying, all right, I, uh, I took my briefcase, I opened it up, took out this piece of paper, and I had a friend over there. And I just said, from the earliest I can remember, here are my mess ups. And he listed them, 50, 55, 60 of them. He said, whew, at the end of all that, hallelujah, down to glory. And he puts, he's about ready to put it back into his briefcase. And the guy says, I want that paper. Foster's not quite so sure. He says, man, this is kind of a personal thing. I want that paper, he said. The guy took the paper and he tore it up into a million pieces. Foster needed to see that. It's not just enough to go to somebody else with your sins. You need to have those sins dealt with. And I believe God, through that person, dealt with his sins. Lo, I remember them no more. And so, pretty important step. Number four, make a fearless moral inventory. Number five, admit to God, to ourselves, to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. Number six, entirely ready to have God remove these defects of character. For crying out loud, why wouldn't you? These things that are holding me back from the abundant life, God, deal with it. Then number, number seven, I humbly ask him to remove my shortcomings, my sin. Number eight, I made a list. This is important. There's forgiveness and there's cheap forgiveness. And cheap forgiveness is, I only got to go to God. That's all. No, it's not. Because if you ever read the Bible close enough, you'll recognize there is such a thing as confess your sins one to another that you might be healed, but also this, seek restitution. Listen, if somebody comes in my house, and you've, we've had a couple of people across 30 years come to the Freedom House and just take stuff. First time that happened, we were on Cedars of Lebanon in, a, in our first little house, cute little house, love being there. But one day, I had a kind of a nice wooden rocker out there I wouldn't look at much, but occasionally I'd go out and sit down in and, you know, only use it once every two or three months. But one morning it was gone. I thought, hey, wait a minute, who took my rocker? And it dawned on me, someone stole my rocker! And I don't use it much, but I've been violated. Anybody here been violated before? Someone stole my stuff! I want it back. Now I hope the police caught that guy. Almost assuredly they didn't. But anyway, I hope they caught that guy. 
And I hope he's suffering today in prison somewhere because he stole Matt Freedom's rocker. No, I don't. But I, you know. What I really want is my rocker back, and I want that guy to give me my rocker back. Go work a job. Go, go rake some leaves. Do whatever you have to do. I want my rocker back. That's what you call seeking restitution. I not only say I'm sorry for it, I'm not only forgiven for it, but now I want to make it right. And here we go. This is the next step. Make a list of all persons who we have harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Now, sometimes you can't, or sometimes it'll just get them in trouble to do it. So sometimes it's not possible. We get that. But everybody you can make things right with, go and make it right. You're thinking, oh my goodness, I'm going to spend the next five years. Do it. Spend the next five years making, I'm going to tell you, you'll get more incredible blessing out of that. You'll get that sin way out of your life, and abundant living will come to you in waves. But you say, I want to go make things right with that person. And it's a challenge, but God says we believe in restitution. And then the last thing is this. Made a direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Whole point is, how serious are you about forgiveness? How really serious are you about sin? Get rid of it. There's no progress to sobriety without taking these steps seriously. There's no progress to abundant life without taking them seriously. Because we're all huge sinners. Now, you got your Bibles there. Look down at verse 23. Remember now, we're in uh, Matthew 18, 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Now, y'all, that just goes over us and has no meaning whatsoever. But anybody that would have been reading this at the time would have thought, whoa. Let me tell you how much 10,000 talents was. Now, by the way, you'll see some different numbers, but whatever the number is, it's way, way, way out there. But my source as I was reading it this weekend, this was as much as 100 million denarii, as much as 70 or even 100 million days wages. Now, not one of you are going to work a million days in your life. It was, but if you could work a million days in your life, guess what? This would have been 100 times that. 100 million working Days wages. Now, the only reason this figure is not placed even higher is that that term was the largest currency available and 10,000 was the largest numerical designation in Greek. If there would have been a billion, probably that number would have been put in here. If if they would have understood trillion, that number probably would have been put in here. But this guy, this writer, this person called Jesus Christ is thinking, these people can all, I, I get all eternity. I get a trillion. I get a gazillion. These folks don't. What they get is a thousand. So let me go ahead and put this at 10,000 hmm, talents. 100 million days wages. Y'all, there's no hope of paying that back. You're going to die being a servant. Your family's going to be servant. Probably. The grandkids, the great-grandkids, and the great-great-grandkids are going to be all servants because of your debt. Now, that's radical forgiveness. This man was willing 
to wipe it out. Now, you remember, now this man needs to go and do some things, which brings us to the second point. You can only be saved if you allow God to forgive you of your sins. And you'll take that sin very seriously indeed. But the second truth is a huge truth as well. The maintenance of your salvation requires that you forgive other people in your life. I don't think Jesus was around here. I don't think he understands what kind of bad things people have done to me. Yeah, he gets it. No one here has been put on a cross. No one here has had nails put in your hands, into your feet and through the side. And you were God. No one had that happen. Nothing even close. I get the fact that some horrible things have been done to some people in here. I understand. But y'all, in order for you not to be strangled, in order for you not to be tortured, in order for you not to be choked, you've got to deal with that for you. Yeah, for others to be sure, but for you. Ephesians. Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. And in chapter 4 he says, Get rid of all bitterness. Get rid of, rid of rage and get rid of anger. Get rid of brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Now, with that guy that got forgiven, a hundred million days wages, he had someone that owed him some money, right? That's how the story goes. And the number that is set there was four months. Four months wages. Not a million years, not a thousand years, not a year. But four months wages was enough to tick him off. He said, I'm not forgiving you. And guess what? That brought torture to his own life. Y'all, forgive. It's where abundant life is found. Forgive. That's where abundant life is found. I don't know if you ever read I have not read it, so I had to read the Cliff Notes version. And Cliff Notes version to me is not, hey, you know, the little book they put together so you can cheat in college. They literally have cheating books in college where you can buy for about 100 pages Moby Dick. Well, I, I don't want to read 100 pages on Moby Dick. So I like to read a paragraph. So I'm going to give it to you in a paragraph. Anybody here hadn't read Moby Dick, you ever wanted to? Don't bother. I'm about ready to give it to you. Moby Dick, written by Herman Melville. Story of revenge and absolute obsession. And a lot of us understand obsession because we will not forgive based on obsession. There's a guy named Captain Ahab. He's a whaler. And he loses a leg to a whale, a white whale. And he is so ticked off. Now it's a whale. Whales are dumb. Whales don't even know what they're doing. But he lost a leg, and so he is ticked off. He's anger, and this anger absolutely consumes him. He's got a fixation on revenge. I'm going to get that idiot whale. I'm going to get him. And this lust grows, this hatred grows, but as the lust grows and the hatred grows, so does the lack of wisdom in his life. 
And pretty soon he is so bent on this, he's absolutely overruled by his wild passion to kill that stupid white whale that took my leg. So he finally sees him again. He says, oh, gosh, let's go. Let's get him. And the chase ensues for three days. The crew members realize, oh, my goodness, we're all going to die because of this crazy maniac. And so Starbuck is Ahab's first mate. And this is what he says. Oh, Ahab, not too late, is it? Even now, the third day, to desist. See, Moby Dick seeks you not. It's you, you that madly seek him. So Ahab ignores every danger. Revenge only grows deeper. The ship is lost. The crew, except for one person, is lost. Ahab is lost. His quest and his life is lost. And that it, it well got off. Y'all, for some of us, lack of forgiveness is just like that. We obsess over our grudge. And I've many times told friends, one of the aspects of my personality is I can hold a grudge. And I, Matt Friedman, remember. And I tell you, that's a dangerous thing. That is no bragging point. That may well be my deepest flaw as a personality. I do not forget. If you've wronged me, I will remember. And someday, maybe 40 years from now, you will pay. Now, I'm not saying I'm going to make him pay. I just can't wait to see God make him pay. Y'all, that's a terrible thing. And I just have to give that up to the Lord and say, Jesus, help me with that. Because I don't want to live the rest of my life thinking, get him, God. Get him, God. I will say this. Every day, I sing a Wesley hymn. And most of them you've never heard of. He wrote 9,000 poems. 6,000 of them were put into songs. 9,000 poems. He wrote, he wrote a stanza or two every day. I'm about ready to read you some Wesley poetry. Now, you're going to have to hang in there with me. Because a, a glaze is going to come over your eyes right now, all right? Because you don't like poetry, and I don't like poetry. But I tell you, this stuff, this stuff gets me. So here it is. This is put into a song. I'd sing it to you, but nah. Forgive my foes? It cannot be. My foes with cordial love embrace, fast bound in sin and misery, unsaved, unchanged by hallowing grace. Throughout my fallen soul, I feel with man, this is impossible. Get it? The forgiveness of sins, me forgiving them, it's impossible if it's left up to me. Second stanza. Great searcher of the mazy heart, a thought from thee I would not hide. I cannot draw the envenomed dart or quench this hell of wrath and pride. Jesus, till I thy spirit receive, thou knowest I can never forgive. So here it is. Jesus, till your spirit I receive, I know, you know, we all know, I'm not going to be able to forgive. Because that guy really did something bad to me. Last verse. Come, Lord, 
tame the tiger's force. Arrest the whirlwind in my wind. Arrest the whirlwind in my will. Turn back the torrent's rapid course and bid the headlong sun stand still. Here we go. The rock, my heart, the rock dissolve, the mountain move, and melt my hatred into love. The rock dissolve, the mountain move, and melt my hatred into love. Can you pray that with me right now? And melt my hatred into love. Say it one more time. And melt my hatred into love. Now how far do we go with this? Wednesdays and Fridays from now on until the day it's announced, I want this church to fast and pray. Fast means give up a meal. Give up two meals. I intend to give up two meals. On Wednesdays and Fridays at least, and I want to pray about this court case where Roe v. Wade is uh, hanging in the balance. Guys, if we can't pray now, when are you going to pray? This is, uh, this is the time. There are what they say, six conservatives. I'd call more like four conservatives and two sort of, and I wouldn't bet anyone I'm going to do the right thing necessarily, unless God. And so there's a possibility that Roe v. Wade could be overturned in this but not if the people of God do not pray. Now, having said that, some of us go out to that clinic, and there's nobody we hate more than that abortion doctor. I'm going to challenge the folks that go out to the abortion clinic regularly and all those who don't. Melt our hearts and dissolve it into love for that abortion doctor. And no, you can't not yell at a man and call him names and say, I'm doing it out of love. No, you're not. That's the wickedness of us that go out to the abortion clinic. How about the wickedness that you deal with at your workplace? And some of you have dealt with wickedness in your families. And some of you have dealt with wickedness through the betrayal of friends. Oh God, melt our hearts, dissolve our hearts, move the mountains of our soul that we might be able to compassionately love because the way things are conquered in the kingdom is not by hate, not by anger, but by love. I did not see the movie one or two. I thought, nah, I don't think so probably for the language most of all. But let me just re- remind you, there was a movie that came out with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, Revenant. I did not see the movie. I'm not going to show Ask for a show of hands of, if you saw the movie. Because if you're passionate in, you shouldn't have, but I wanted to. But it's a story of Hugh Glass, played by DiCaprio. He's a fur trapper, and he's attacked and seriously wounded by a grizzly bear. And so his friends intentionally leave him for dead and murder his son right before his eyes. And according to the film's version of this story... He emerges from his grave and he treks 80 miles on foot to hunt down and kill the men who betrayed him. Now, let me tell you why I wanted to see the movie. I like that theme. Remember I told you about my little life? Revenge and I do not forget. I like the theme. You did me wrong. You killed my son. I'm coming after you. I'm coming after you. 
and he got him, killed him dead. Hallelujah, thine the glory. No, it's not hallelujah, thine the glory. Let me tell you hallelujah, thine the glory. That's not how the story happened. It was based on a true story. Can I tell you how the story happened? It happened this way. The historical story is Glass does indeed travel all that way. Hugh Glass travels all that way, ends up forgiving his betrayers. <laughs> he forgives them. Now, the reason they didn't make the movie that way is no one's going to see a movie on forgiveness. That's the Hollywood way. We're not going to highlight forgiveness. We're going to highlight revenge. People will say, they'll spend 10 bucks and another 50 bucks to buy popcorn and a Coke. We'll pay 60 bucks twice that to take a good looking woman along with us and we'll watch this thing and we'll think, woo, revenge, I love it. And the Billy Graham made the movie and we found out that revenge was dissolved. God melted the heart of Hugh Glass and forgives. That's no story. No one's going to pay to see that. And so they go with revenge. God knows in his our hearts that's the way we want to go too. That's why there's the miracle of grace and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit that comes into our lives and dramatically melts our hearts and moves the mountain of our soul so that we can forgive. It takes a miracle, y'all. It takes a miracle. You've got to give it up. You've got to take sin seriously in your life first and then say, now I'd like for Jesus through the power of love to take sin seriously in other people's lives, but that's up to them. What I know is my duty is to love and be kind and be compassionate. And if that happens, y'all, we often talk about revival. We talk about revival being the holding up of hands and full altars, people giving more money than they ever gave before, the church growing. But if all that happens and there's not forgiveness in the middle of it, it's hay, wood, and stubble. So let forgiveness be our deal. Amen? Amen. Amen. And amen.